podcast is brought to you by This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome all you QT faithful to your ninth Tarantino Bible study, where each month we sit down and take an intense look at one of the major scenes from our movie of the month. I am your host, the Reverend Scott K, and it is my pleasure to once again welcome back friend of the podcast, making his sixth, yes, you heard me, sixth appearance. It's the host of the Way Past Cool podcast, the amazing Steve Smith, and together we will be taking a glorious deep dive into the gospel of Tarantino as we turn to the book of Kill Bill, volume two. Chapter 11, Beatrix Kiddo versus L Driver Scene. Welcome back, Mr. Smith, and may Tarantino be with you always. Hello again, Scott. It's been a very long time. Yes, less than 24 hours, but here we are. Here we <laughs> here are. We are. we are back again. So this are. is number six for you. I know. And sadly, possibly the last on this first season. But then again, I never say never, because who knows what could come down the road. But yeah, you've been on six times. And uh, it's it's pretty impressive. You've done three. Very, you've done th- I'm very very privileged to be here once again. Well, you know, as I said in our very first episode, you were a huge supporter of my old podcast, um, the Watch Us or Die podcast. We interacted it, on it, Facebook it a lot, and so I thought it was proper to bring on the one person I really wanted to bring on in our last podcast. And uh, here you are. You've made six, three Bible studies. Two worship services and the birthday celebration. So you're damn near a co-host at this point. Well, part of the family at least. Yeah, you're at least in charge of the altar boys here at the Church of Tarantino. <laughs> I don't know if I like the sound. I don't know if I like the sound of that. I don't know if the altar boys like the sound of that either. <laughs> oh God. And now it's time to open your Tarantino Bibles to the book of Kill Bill, Volume Two. Chapter 11. Yes, this is such an amazing scene. So I rewatched it again like three times today. And as we recorded yesterday, which for you folks will have been two weeks ago since you heard us talk about the glorious fight of Vernita Green and the Bride. And the reason I titled this one Beatrix Kiddo, because at this point we have learned that her name is in fact Beatrix Kiddo by the time her and Elle fight. So we no longer have to call her the Bride. We now know her as Beatrix Kiddo, which 
is a very interesting name, and I have yet to find anything as to why he named her Beatrix Kiddo. Do you have any insight into this interesting name for the great character, the bride? I almost wish she was just always the bride. Mm. Well, obviously, I guess the kiddo part, if that is indeed her actual surname, it's just a kind of, obviously, he calls her kiddo anyway, and we, and you just think that's yeah. a term of endearment. Because, you, you know, you, you, just, <laughs> you just think of it as a term of endearment. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's true. But actually is her name. Her actual so that's, last I guess name. that. But the Beatrix, I don't know what that relates to at all. I know, because it's a very older name, uh, like a Beatrice. You know, like Beatrice is like an older yeah. name, and people used to go by yeah. B. But Beatrix is an interesting fucking name. Actually, both Uma and Quinn came up with the name Beatrix Kiddo. Uma came up with the first name, having previously worked with someone named Beatrix, while Quentin came up with the last name of Kiddo, because that's what he calls women he really likes. He calls her Kiddo. Which is yeah. then funny, because now when you think of it in context, when they kind of use the old serial tagline, but technically it's kind of using your name when they tr- silly rabbit tricks are for kids. You know, there's a little bit of uh, a lean into ah, that as well. I never thought of that. Oh, I never thought. Uh, yeah, very good. And the thing yeah, about no, tricks are for kids. Beatrix uh, Kiddo. Thank you very much, uh, folks. This is the see, end of the, no, of the, no. bar, of the Tarantino. Hey. We're done. We've done it. We've solved the riddle of life. Medal. There it is. You've We've done it. Thank you, folks. That. No, that was <laughs> he good. gets a that gold medal very, for that. Very, yeah. No, that was very good. I never really thought It was more that. satisfying than the stupid little uh, code word thing they had to do in A Christmas Story where he just finds out Drink More Ovaltine. This definitely paid off more that hidden message than the Drink More Ovaltine message. So this is a just an amazing fight scene between two just mortal enemies. In fact, Uma Thurman and Daryl Hannah did not get along with each other and reportedly instructed hotel and cinema staff to ensure that they were kept separate from each other during the press tour for Volume 1. They were again at odds at the film screening at the Cannes Film Festival and ordered separate areas to be created at the after show party so they wouldn't clash. When the two women won Best Fight at the 2005 MTV Movie Awards, only Daryl attended. Uma's absence was conspicuous considering she had gone the previous year to collect the award for her fight with Chiaki Kuriyama in Volume 1. But unlike the other one where, you know, the scene starts off with, you know, her pulling up to the house and all that. We get this is, we know at this moment that Beatrix is outside. The bride is outside because she has watched Elle drive down Bud's drive and go into his trailer. She has no idea what's happened inside the trailer. I think she's waiting to see if they both come out maybe try to surprise him. Some part of me thinks that she's probably happy that Bud is already dead when she gets there because she's thinking it might be a two-on-one and, you know, obviously two birds with one stone, but... Both Volume 1 and Volume 2, L-Driver and Bud are the only assassins that Beatrix's kiddo does not cite as having unfinished business with. As a result, neither character was killed by her. Judging by the fight that ensues, I bet she was glad they weren't Oh, God, yes. Yes. Um, And full disclosure, I literally just finished watching the fight scene again. Isn't it amazing? Like I said, when her, you know, it opens. She grabs the sword. When you go to the chapter mark, she grabs the sword. She's got the money. She's opened the door. Her eyes light up. And all of a sudden, B just comes in, kicking her in the chest with a flying double fucking sidekick. And just, bam, into the fucking trailer she goes. And we are in it. We are in it instantly. There's no buildup. It's just there. Yeah, yeah, it's the OSIO moment, the oh shit, it's on moment. It's yes. just, it is just, I mean, groin kicks, head oh. butts. 
Yes. What we learn, we learn right off the bat, which we kind of talked about a little bit before, is it's nearly impossible for either of these ladies to unsheathe the sword inside the tightness of this trailer. And I love that yes. Quentin Tarantino and the stunt choreographer, how they choreographed this to use some comedic elements of the fact that, like, you know, especially Elle goes to unpull the sword out. She's halted by either the wall or something's to the ceiling. Something blocks her from yeah, unsheathing yeah. it, which gives B a chance to... Even the score up. Both of them are just very restricted in what yes. they would, what would they like, what would what they would like to be doing. In fact, in the original script, the fight between Beatrix Kilo and Al Driver was supposed to resemble her fight with Oreni Shee. Quentin Tarantino revealed in an interview with Entertainment Weekly that he changed it the day after catching a showing of Jackass the movie at the Alamo Drafthouse in Austin, Texas. He wanted the fight scene to have a more chaotic feel to it, just like the stunts he had saw in the movie Jackass. Talk about that, the restrictiveness. It even has to go to split screen. <laughs> but the great thing is, you know, that how this movie always starts is, you know, we're talking about this sword, and she goes and gets the sword, and outside of the end of one, she, it, like, we never get to see the sword really in use again, because when she comes out of the coma, her first thing she does, if we go in timeline sequential order, is she flies yeah. to Japan to find Tori Hanzo. And she yes. finds him, and, she, and the purpose is to get this sword to kill Bill with it and everyone else in her way. And outside of the amazing House of Blue Leaf scene, she doesn't get to use it to do any of that sort of stuff, uh, really, again. And I love that in this, you know, in this scene, we think, okay, they're fine. This is where, you know, we're going to get some brutal something. And the entire time is they don't get an opportunity to get it out. And then you get this brutal, ferocious fight with them once again, like we got with Vernitas, is they're using every single weapon or item in the trailer to kind of fight with. And it just brings up the intensity of the whole fucking thing. And how great was the sound design in this scene? It's like, like almost instantly, the sound design is top notch throughout this entire fucking scene. I did some research. They didn't win a single or get nominated for a single award. Not even sound design. The sound design in this fight alone is spectacular. Well, like I said, I've just seen, I've just watched the scene again, literally, you know, ten minutes ago. So I actually. I've never, do you know what? I don't think I've ever just watched that scene. Well, yeah, because normally you're led into, you know, uh, she shows up. It's right after she's gotten out of the desert and out of the hole, and we got the whole pioneer yeah, well, scene. Yeah, that's what she, I mean, you know, like, yeah. usually I've, I've always watched the whole movie. This is like the first time I've literally just yeah. put the disc in and I've gone straight to it. And it's just incredible how the editing and the, like you, as you pointed out, the sound design, um, you know, the choreography and. The brutality and the, the sort of there's a I remember Tarantino, I'm sure I read an interview or listened to a podcast with him perhaps. And there was something to do with they wanted like a jackass element to it. Like a more kind of Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, cause, cause but because as you say, you know, yeah, it is well choreographed, but there is literally an it's an everything but the kitchen sink fight where they're just grabbing what's close, you know, um, Driver gets thrown through that wall. After the first opening, she kind of breaks off the old TV antenna, which a lot of younger listeners have no idea what the fuck that is. And she's like whipping yeah. her in the face with the fucking thing. Yeah, and like she does that flying kick. Yes. Elf Driver does that flying kick. Beatrix grabs her by the leg and just throws her through the wall. And that was very reminiscent when I watched that again today. I was like, oh my God, that's Cliff doing it to Bruce Lee in Once Upon a Time when he... Goes to kick him, he grabs him, and throws him right into the fucking door. It's the exact same move that they yeah. both had. Like I said, the jackass element is like, next thing, she's got her head down the toilet. You know? <laughs> yeah. So there was a, you know, so it was just like every move you could pull in a dirty fight, you know. It's like you say. You're also forgetting that uh, she throws Bud's spit cup in her face. The spit can that 
Bud used was labeled Oak Ridge Coffee. Oak Ridge is a town 25 miles from writer and director Quentin Tarantino's hometown of Knoxville, Tennessee. Which is a great comedic moment because we've got this tension. It's just, I mean, like, they're going at it. And we've known. This has been set up since she tried to kill her in the opening movie, you know, in the in the volume one. Yes. We saw her walk yes. in in the whole nurse's outfit and stuff. And we knew that, mm, okay, these two are definitely going to be near the end. Like, I think everyone knew that it was going to be L. Like, in the succession of boss levels, we were going to get yeah. L before she got to Bill. Yeah. But the only thing that Beatrix can think to do, because she's on the ground, she just got thrown through, like, that chair, is she just grabs this pickup and throws it in her face. And it's a great pause. Like, it gives us a moment to breathe in the tension, but also laughable because, I mean, Dale Hannah did a great job with that. I mean, say what you will about her, but she t- plays a total badass in this film. And I think she's absolutely amazing in this scene. You know what? She's fantastic. She is fantastic. And the way she just says, gross. You know, when exactly because that's exactly what we're thinking when we see it, because it's like it's like years worth like it's th- like it's like sits there and just continues yeah. to collect spit. Like yeah. it's a lot. Like it's not like, you know, he just dipped for a minute. It's like he's been that's the, the entire time he's lived in that trailer. That's like the dip yeah. he's always yeah. used. And and like say, yeah. So so like you say, you get that pause and in that pause, you're thinking gross. And then L driver actually said <laughs> and um She's kind of got this, like, pantomime villain smirk on her face at certain points in the fight. When she's talking about, well, I mean, I may be jumping ahead in the scene here, but when she... That's fine. You want to just give up my good stuff? Go ahead. Just go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, when, you know, she's, she's going on about Pai Mai, what she did to Pai Mai. Yeah. And it kind of flashes back. She's got this really, like, moustache, um, almost like a, like a normal, be like a normal moustache twirling villain. Yeah, sort of like, she, like she's tied face. someone down to like the train tracks and is waiting for the train yeah. to come. <laughs> and she's like, haha, you know, what I did to your Matt, your master and all this. And it's just like, you know, Daryl Hannah is someone who I'm not, not overly familiar with her because I'm, I'm sure, I mean, obviously she's great in Roxanne with Steve Martin and Splash. Splash, obviously. yeah. I think that's like her, um, but the 80s was like I'm her sure real bread done, and butter. Yeah, I'm sure she's done a lot of great stuff, but I'm it's not, I haven't um, seen a lot of it, but... Look, it's like we've said before, this is her moment, like we said about uh, Vivica Fox. Yeah, Tarantino get, movie is her moment in the sun. Absolutely, because you can't... Again, you know, going back to what we said in the previous episode, you know, you just can't imagine anyone else playing that part now. You know, she just... Uh, she totally owns that part, you know. Agreed. My last guest, Ryan, he didn't like her in this role. He thought she was the weakest part. And again... I don't know. Well, I, I, I like, I really like her as, but again, like, you know, everyone has their own opinion. You're know, like, I, I'm fine with that. You know, some people like the way yeah, no, you know, she I mean, plays that, it. I, I loved her in this and I wasn't a huge Daryl Hannah fan. I kind of think she's crazy as it is in real life. Cause when you hear some of her interviews afterwards, you're kind of like, damn, this girl's out of her mind. But she parlayed that out of her mindness into a great role of L driver. Like, oh, yeah. She's superb as L driver. Well, yeah. I mean, whether you like her or not, I mean, that's purely subjective, but, she she gives it everything. You can't deny that, even if you oh, don't Oh, no, like everything, it. even from the walking in volume one where she's whistling and, you know, she gets all dressed up as the nurse. and the, I mean, all Yeah, of she it. has a totally The gargantuan speech right before this, it's fantastic. Yeah, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's fair comment if you didn't like it, but I, I just think she, she really delivers the goods in this role. And the fight with, um, in the fight that we're talking about, they both just totally sell it. You know, it is just hardcore. It is ferocious. You can, you can feel it. Well, it's even more ferocious than the 
it's more ferocious than the previous fight. I know it really is, but I think it shows how much they truly hate each other as care, you know, as their characters is how much they truly have a vendetta against one. Like they truly, they've not liked each other even before the whole betraying of Bill. Because clearly, as we know, Alice always wanted Bill and she was always second fiddle to Beatrix. Yeah. And I think she still felt that way after Bill let her stay alive and didn't have her put her down. Yeah. So there's a lot, there's a lot. Mm -hmm. A lot of venom. For her. There's a, exactly. Yeah. Well, not only that, but think about this is like you said, I was watching that, like, they hit each other in the vagina. There's some cunt punts and vagina kicks and elbow, like, three to four of them in the movie, in that scene. And you're like, man, it's vicious. Like, I get them credit. Again, it's a movie. But I don't think a man, the two of us, if we got in a fight, if one of us punches the other one in the junk, that's pretty much the end of the fight at that moment. We're not going on for two more, three more shots to the groin and keep fighting. Like, these ladies are just... They're going yeah. for everything. Like they are just absolute no holds barred. Everything goes. I'm gonna hurt you any way I can. Yeah. So ladies, any ladies listening, take note. Kick us in the balls. I would also like any of the ladies listening to chime <laughs> in on what it's like to get hit in that part because it happens three times in the film. Yeah. There's an elbow, there's like a knee, there's a kick. It's like, holy shit, like that's gotta hurt. Like it has to hurt. Like it just it's like they're kicking a Ken doll and there's nothing un between there. Like there is stuff between there. Well she didn't do it for nothing. She did it. For, exactly. You know. So I would like to know yeah. how much of a how much pain does that incur? And could either of them have sustained more than one blow and kept moving forward in this fight? If any of the ladies can put that into words for us, I mean, that's hard enough to describe for when it happens to us. So that's the most, you know, unimaginable pain that you can, that's hard to describe. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So when I see yeah. that happen to them, I was like, God damn, like every time I winced and they just like kept on moving. Like it's like, and it's a great part in that fight when um, L comes flying at Beatrix to, with a flying kick, and she does the traditional hi ya. Like, and that's yes. just such a moment. Yes, that's it such was a great. fantastic, you know, because yep. it's kind of like what we think of rightly or wrongly, what we think of when it comes to kung fu. You uh, know, agree. that, that hi ya. And that's just such a fantastic. <laughs> Com- you know, because it is comical, and he's de- that, and that is deliberate. It is, but she doesn't cheese it either, though. No, there, no, no. There, there no. is true anger and ferocity in her high. Like it's not done for. It, obviously, it's done for some comedic um, levity. To lo- just to lighten it a tad. Yeah, it's, but she means pretty, every moment hard. of it. It's almost yeah. like she's playing, like she knows she's heard that before, like a karate movie, but she's like, hiya, bitch. Like, you know, like she's like really yeah, into yeah. it. Like she's selling it. Like she's like, motherfucker, I'm going to kick you through a wall. And just the slow motion of that when she runs at her and you just see like Beatrix looking at it like in slow motion, then just kind of yes. stands up and grabs her and puts her through the fucking, right through the wall, right yeah. through, in, right into the bathroom. And, and then, yeah, then they're in the, then they're in the bathroom together. It's like, that's when Beatrix. Flushes her head down the toilet. Yeah. So you've got like you know you've got kicks to the groin. You've got like the whatever it is, the little bucket of spit that she's thrown yep. over her uh, head down the toilet. You know, it's all kind of like anything goes. Yes, agree. Anything you can, and like you say, with the it's TV antenna. It's like whatever they can, and they pick, and she and she's um fighting with the chair. She's throwing the yep. chair at her. So it's literally like what everything is a weapon in this. Well, um. Beatrix is also fighting barefoot, and Elle steps on her foot with her boot that one time on her toes. Like, that would have broken her foot. Like, I, you know I mean? Look, yeah. I, I know it's a movie, but, like, oh, I thought about that today. I was like, that would have probably ended the fight right there. She would have smashed her toes. Most people stub their toe. It's like the, the whole morning's ruined. Like, they can't even walk anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she gets, like, two or three of them smushed. Yeah. The fight with Elle Driver, 
is it's like that like relatable pain you know where things oh, yeah. happen where both like, fight yeah, sequence we've talked about it's very realistic all right maybe the catching or putting through the wall is a little kung fu-esque but the whole fight within there like it's all very realistic they're not both like you know like in a kung fu it's black 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 and then one person lands a ball like oh you know what i mean it's like yeah she'll punch and miss like you know l tries to kick her kicks the wall b tries to punch her a punches through that punches wall the like wall. yeah yeah she yeah. punches through the wall yeah yeah so it's got that kind of element of there is, there is there I would I wouldn't say far fetched so much, but there is a cartoonishness to the, the bit with. Agree. I mean, that's almost like you know when she throws it through that wall, you, you're surprised it's not just like an outline of her body in the, <laughs> in the woodwork, you know. Well, well maybe he did. took some. You know, he took a little creative license from Jackass. He probably found, you know, the, the ridiculous stuff they put themselves through. But then he thought, well, how do I do this in a fight without it being too comical? You know, where, yeah. where like, you know, she's trying to get the sword out. And it's funny that she hits the wall, can't get it out. But it's realistic. It's not just like, bah, bah, da, 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 you know what I mean? Like, dick yeah. fart joke, dick yeah, fart no, joke. He, he avoids, the, you know, anything too classical and comedic. but Too slapstick. Yeah, you don't want that. He knows that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the whole scene is, you know, a lot, a lot happens happens in the scene not only the fighting because beatrix finds bud's sword well yeah so when she comes out of the bathroom that she does another hiya she kicks her in the stomach and then kicks her and like b goes up off her feet and she like lands on like a side table and she kind of lands on it with her head and i, I remember watching rewatching it and thinking how does she even again we know this is a movie. In reality, not many of this. This fight doesn't go too much past the living room because of the brutality with which people are getting hit. And I don't know that anyone's surviving half of these fights. But when she hits her head on that table, and then also should we get that great reveal of her looking over and seeing, oh shit, Bud has his sword is still here. It's that moment because we think, oh shit, how is she going to get out of this? Because Elle is walking down the hallway to grab a sword to come kill her. It's her own sword. And we're thinking, how is she going to find a way to get past this attack from Elle and and sure enough, boom, we find out that Bud was lying to his brother the entire time just to hurt him, <laughs> saying that he pawned it yeah. for $250 in El Paso. In reality, he actually has it in his golf bag. Yeah. He puts the hero and the audience on this like, oh, shit, Elle's going to get the best of her. And then you're like, oh, hold on, hold your horses, minute, bitches. We got us a sword ourselves. Well, I was going to say that um, when you're watching that scene, Beatrix does get her ass handed to her a bit in that fight, and you are a little bit like, I don't know where, I'm not quite sure how this is going to go down. Well, in fairness to Beatrix, she was shot that night before in the chest with rock salt. She was buried <laughs> yeah. alive, had to fight yeah. her way through a coffin and dig herself out of a grave, and then walk through the desert to get here. So, she was physically spent at this point, like, you know what I mean? Like, she really didn't have a whole lot left when she's fighting Elle, who's fresh as a daisy. But yeah, Elle does give as good as she gets, you know? For a, for a time. For yeah, a time. If, you were, if we were to go and uh, score this in a boxing match, L's definitely winning on points, for sure. Mm. L's definitely winning on points in this fight. Yeah. Yeah. For, for quite a while, actually, it looks a little bit like, oh, could she be getting her come up and say, you know, like you say, she's been through a lot. Well, you know, it starts off a little even, and then all of a sudden, L gets the better of her in the kitchen, in the living room, and then we think, oh, shit, you know, here she comes, and then B puts her to the wall, starts kicking her ass in the bathroom, like, here it comes, and that's like a good wrestling match. The roles reverse again, yeah. and we're like, uh-oh, the villain, the heel is on top, and then the last second, we're like, oh, no, the wrestler's gonna hit him with a chair, and it's like, da da I have my chair of my own that I just saw hidden somewhere. And now yeah. they both are there, kind of thing. Yeah. It was, it's well designed. Well, because yeah, because when they're in the bathroom, uh, then you know, L kind of gets the better of Beatrix and tries to tries to climb out of the hole again. 
And then you just yes. see Beatrix's arm come across and pull her back in. And yeah, and then she starts to choke her, and then she puts her in the fucking toilet. Yeah, she's fucking her up at that moment. It is just crazy. It's a crazy fight scene, you know, with... Um, it hasn't got the choreography... Well, it ha- it obviously, it's very well choreographed, but it hasn't got the choreography of the Vanilla Green fight, and certainly not the House of Blue Leaves. Oh, no. But I think it's got the choreography re- recommended for the space in which they're fighting, because it's such a yeah. cramped space, you know? Where yeah, even yeah. Vanilla Green's oh, yeah. house is bigger, so they you know they have more space to move and dodge and, and do some cool shit. Well, it's almost like um, it's so well choreographed it's as if it isn't. Agreed. Yeah, it does look like it's just a brawl, like a street yeah, brawl. They've, they've managed to capture that street fighter vibe to it, which is, you know, no less difficult than acrobatics and wire work, you know. Oh, agreed. It's just as difficult to sell it, to make it look like it's spontaneous and it's really happening. Well, what's, what what helps is is we both learn and we both know they've both been trained by Pai Mei, so they both know Kung Fu. The real Pai Mei is believed to have been one of the five elders of Shaolin who went on to betray the Shaolin Temple, the actions of which led to its burning down by the Imperial Chinese government. The character of Pai Mei was made famous in modern-day Kung Fu films as the unbeatable white-eyebrowed villain prominent in the Shaw Brothers movies that Tarantino loved as a kid. As an homage to those films, Pai Mei appears in Kill Bill. And hardly at all in this moment do they use Kung Fu to fight. The only time they well, use really Kung Fu not. is when she does the running kick and she gets put through a wall and then she kicks B in the head when she tries to come out the bathroom. Yeah. That's basically the only Kung Fu used and they both are trained by this master Kung Fu. Yeah, they've got to like all the stops here because that, that Kung Fu shit isn't going to do any do either of many times. Well, I think it also shows that they hate each other so much that it's just, you know, pure adrenaline, pure hatred. Like, they forget all their training and they're yeah. just trying to rip the other person's fucking head off, you know? They're yeah. not doing so, their own. Yeah, it's like... It's not like block yeah. counter, block counter kind of thing. No, it's like, um, like you say, it's a dirty fight. But when we do get the sword, we get that great... Cue the Morricone music, and we get our Samurai Spaghetti Western standoff as the two ladies stand with swords, two Hanzo swords, at the end of a small hallway, which is very tight, staring each other down for the final attack. I did notice something the last few times I've watched it, and I had to go back to volume one to make sure I wasn't hearing things. But for some reason, I don't know, and I don't know how it got past both Uma and also Quentin, but she says Hanzo wrong. Okay. She says Hanzo sword. This is Bud's Hanzo sword. I'm thinking, when you show up, you say, I'm looking for Hattori Hanzo when she shows up in Okinawa. And then today I'm watching it and she's got Bud's sword and she says Hanzo. And I'm like, what the fuck? How did you forget his name? You spent a month with this man. How do you not remember his fucking name? He made you that sword. I didn't. No one in the film calls it Hanzo. Everyone else has said Hanzo. For some reason, Uma at that moment says Hanzo. I, I don't know. I don't know if she's saying it's a fake. Uh-huh, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, yeah. I mean, obviously, the. That just slid. That just slipped past everyone. I know it did. Everyone except everyone except you. Well, you know, I you know, I don't want to brag, but I mean, <clears throat> nothing right, gets past right. nothing gets past the church. I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, like you say with the with the Morricone music, which is from um, Navajo Joe. Uh, yes, the Burt Reynolds done Spaghetti Western, which is actually pretty fucking good, and I highly recommend it. Great Sergio Corbucci Spaghetti Western. That's a great. That's one, probably one of the best Ennio Morricone soundtracks, actually. So I'm not surprised. And Burt Reynolds got that role over Rick Dalton. So in case you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but that, that's a great movie, and and yeah, that music is so perfect for that moment as well when they're facing each other down. Through the corridor. Yes. With their with their swords, you know, just in that battle pose. And he doesn't waste a moment. He gives them a beat 
to take a breath before we just go headlong into sword attack. And he allows them to monologue a moment, mm. which is sometimes cliche in movies. But in that moment, we learn how Elle loses her eye. Because, you know, up until that point, we just see her as she's lost her eye. And we learn that Pai Mei snatches it out of her skull because she backtalks. And of course she backtalks because she's Elle fucking driver. And Bill should have known bitch. she was going to lose her eye because he should have told her you don't backtalk. And she did. And bam. Out comes the eye, which, I mean, the patch is fantastic. And you followed us on our old podcast, and I think it was either the episode we did about Escape from New York or True Grit, where we talked about our five favorite eye patch um, wearing yeah, yeah, yeah. people. And obviously, yes. Snake Plissken was number one, but I think we picked Rooster Cogburn in that episode as number one, or I forget which episode it was. So it was either Snake Plissken or Rooster was number one, and I think L Driver was our number two as far as people in a movie with an eye patch who, was, you know, who are badass. And um, she that had such an amazing eye patch. I think Matt and I both said at one point in our lives, we're just going to have an eye patch. Like, we're just we're gonna when we get to like 55, it's eye patch time, yeah. But just how amazing is it that in Kill Bill Volume One, when she's dressed up in the nurse outfit, she's got the red cross Fucking over brilliant. I mean, Fucking brilliant. That is just how perfection. shitty are the hospitals in Dallas that they one don't notice her coming in and wearing that? Like, no nurse is walking around in 1950s nurse gear with an eye patch, and also she kills Buck. She's in the car for 13 hours. No one even thinks to go to his vehicle. Like, no one's checking the rest of this hospital for this woman who's just suddenly woken up and killed a man. Two men. Anything can happen in this Tarantino universe. No, I'm just, I'm not saying it can't. I'm just saying Dallas doesn't, seems, I mean, if you want to murder people, Dallas hospitals seem to be the place to go to have this stuff happen. Just a little tip there for the listeners. That's a little tip from the Church of Tarantino. If you're looking to murder people in the United States of America, Dallas, Texas, inside his hospitals seems to be quite the place. I might just have to fly over and take advantage of that nugget of information. There you go. But you have to come over and you've got to put on the outfit that L has and you've got to have the eye patch. <laughs> there, is not a, there is not a living person who wants to see that. In fact, there's not, <laughs> there's not a dead person even. No one needs to see that. Ever. Oh, it's a whole different gimp. Oh, dear. Yeah, no one ever wants to see that. Even I'm feeling a little bit queasy already. <laughs> but in that same time that we learn about her eye getting snatched, then Elle drops the bomb on us that she kills Pyme by poisoning his fish heads. And we just spent about 30 minutes prior to this scene, for 30 minutes, learning about Pyme and how badass he's like. Bill holds him in great reverence, as in this dude is the baddest motherfucker. And when he tries to get Beatrix to be trained by him, he gets his ass whooped, as he calls it a friendly competition. He looks like his eye has been almost clawed out. So we know how badass Pyme is, especially once we get the little tete-a-tete when he tells Beatrix to even try anything with him. And he fucks her up. Mm. So that L Driver is the one who bests him. By outsmarting him. I truly feel that L is the most treacherous person in the Kill Bill world. Even more so than Bill. I know that we get this, you know, even again, like the lore of Bill. Like he's such a badass. He's such a murdering bastard. But I don't think anyone is as evil as L Driver. And it comes to fruition in mm-hmm. that moment of her besting a man who went and killed, like, what, the whole, his whole clan of fucking... Kung Fu warriors? Like, he goes there because a guy didn't nod back to him, and he kills the whole fucking temple? She fucking bests that dude. She's fucking evil. So here's a thought, though. Is Pai Mei dead? Because I'm just thinking, obviously, you see him choking on the poisoned fish head. Mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying. We don't, we don't know that he's dead. I think he is only because L's the last one to see him alive, and I yes. don't think she'd still be alive. How's that? No, this... That is something that's that I very, don't believe Pai Mei would let slide. He would then leave his very, little mountain 
and hunt this bitch down and kill her, and then probably kill Bill for having that her a, around. Right, okay. That's a very good point, but you're ruining my idea. I apologize. We will, we will, we don't, we're going to do what we do in America. We're going to take common sense and throw out the fucking window. Stop with the facts. Let's hear your alternative facts, please. No, it's not that. But what I'm saying is that ruins my idea to add on to our Kill Bill 3 that we talked about. Because what if, yeah? Well, what if Pi May comes back like a Jedi in like yes. glowing form? <laughs> this is what I was going to say. <laughs> this is where I was headed. I mean, from the, from the legend of of Pai Mei, he pretty much is Yoda. He's just an evil Yoda. Like, Yoda lived like 900 years, and like, this Pai Mei thing yeah. happened like in the early 1800s. Like, exactly. Like, it's crazy. He's allowed exactly. forever. Exactly. So, some form of reincarnation again. Well, what I'm thinking is, like, we were, I mean, I'm going way off track here, I know, but when we said that, like, you know, Beatrix sacrificed herself to save her daughter and Vanita Green's daughter, but then they, they get outnumbered and Outwitted by L Driver, the mastermind, the, the grandmaster kung fu criminal, and then Pi May burst through the <laughs> fucking wall. Be, I mean, I, I, look, I'm not going to say no to seeing Pi May again. I mean, he was, he was no, a fantastic character. Saying, I mean, we we only we only assume Pi <laughs> May's dead because. L yes. Driver said so, and she's a fucking exactly. crazy bitch. I hear what you're saying. Don't listen to the liberal media agenda. Pi May lives. Ask Q. Uh, <laughs> We've got our own bring. Q conspiracy here on the Quentin Tarantino podcast. Well, during this moment, and again, you don't notice it because we're so enthralled in what's happening, but it's completely intentional. As she's telling the story, the camera continues to push in on L Driver, centering on... Her good eye. Really subtle foreshadowing of events to come. Wow. Again, like I said, like we talked about um, the last bio study. It's when you sit down and actually start to study a scene and not just watch it for its entertainment value. You start to really break down and, look and see the things that are intentionally happening right in front of your face that because you're watching it in entertainment purposes, you completely fucking miss. Yeah. But are completely, totally intentional. Yeah. So what was it? Beatrix pulled someone's eye out in both. Yes. In an earlier draft of the script, Beatrix Kittle doesn't remove L Driver's remaining eye. Instead, L was to be killed by having her throat slit. In the final film, Beatrix Kittle snatches out L's last remaining eye and leaves her alive. And that's another thing. It's like, it's one of those moments where, I don't think it was you and I talked about it. I'm trying to think it was myself and Ryan, or maybe it was one of my guests. I'm trying to remember now. It's just everything goes into one big world. Sometimes in movies, they'll say like, you know, oh, the five finger punch, you know, they say something's going to happen. And then of course, five minutes later or an hour later, it's it's going to happen. It's like, you, you know, you should never shoot at that thing at this time of day until you know, like before the movie ends, someone's going to shoot at that thing at this time of day and we're going to see what happens, right? Yeah. Like we're never going to get that non-thing. But the fact that she snatches it out in the first one, it just lets us know that she can do it. We just think it's a cool thing that's going to happen. You do not think in this moment that's how we're this not, is going to end. Yeah, it's foreshadow yeah, foreshadows what's to come. Because as, as fans, we're sitting there going, oh, here it comes. Here it goes. You're going to cross swords. But we should have already told ourselves. We've just been told in the beginning of this fight scene, this house is too small for sword fighting. It's like your mom's going to yell, take that outside. Don't play ball in the house. Like, you don't sword yeah. fight in the house. There's no way this small corridor is going to allow them to either of them to do anything with those Hanzo swords at all. So we should have known that it's going to have to end another way. Mm. But we don't think that because we're just so, we just like, so giddy. We're like, oh my God, they're finally going to cut each other up. It's going to be awesome. And you were like, kind of thinking, I can't wait till she cuts that bitch's head off. And then all of a sudden we're standing there and they're just like pushing. And then again, we get close up of the faces, both eyes looking at each other. Yeah. And then, 
bam, like a bird picking a worm out of the ground. Snap, got that yeah. motherfucking eye. Just pulled their eye the fuck out. Loved it. Loved it. It it was better than this. It was better than the sword fight. Yeah, because like you say, when Elle's driver tells Beatrix that she killed Pymai, all you're really thinking is, man, Beatrix is gonna fucking now you're fucking dead. Yes. And you're just thinking because she says, bitch, what, what, what? you don't have a future. <laughs> yeah, because she says, yeah, because she says this hat, this hat, this this sword is. Um, She's like, I'm gonna kill you with your own sword, which in the near future is gonna be my sword. Yes. She's like, bitch, she says, you don't bitch, have a future. You, you don't have a future. But you're, what you're really thinking is she's now going to cut, cut you up, is what you're yes. thinking. Uh, and like you say, but she doesn't do that. Now, here's my only yes, here we go. contention. Here comes another conspiracy theory. Well, no, but leaving our driver alive? Really? Well, we'll get into that. So I wanted to uh, let I, you know, I can't take credit for this bit of information. This comes from no, someone from IMDB. It. No, I can't because if you look it up, people are going to be like, they're like, oh, this guy's full of shit. No, fuck him. Fuck him. Fuck IMDB. Ah, fuck him. Do you know what hand she uses to take her eye? Left. Her right hand. Okay. Do you know whose hand that belonged to? Uh, Tarantino. No. Think about it. Someone says, this is my hand. And if I want to chop it off right now, I can. Pai Mei says he owns that hand, which is the hand he strengthens and what she uses to punch through. She takes her eye, like Pai Mei took her eye with the hand that Pai Mei said is now my hand. I'm just saying, the man's a genius, and I want to give credit to the person who thought of that on IMDb and put it in their behind-the-scenes stuff. Fuck IMDb. Ah, fucking. Is that true then? Yeah. Look, has Tarantino come out and said this is for a fact? But does he do anything that's not intentionally thought out? No. Maybe it's a happy accident, but she snatches it with the right hand. The hand he says is his. The hand he says is going to get stronger. That the wood is going to fear her hand. And she takes Elle's eye clean out of her motherfucking head. I don't know if I buy that. Well, you don't have to buy it, <laughs> but we're selling it here in America. And you know you want to, <laughs> they're coming to America. Sorry. Proud to be an American. Where at least I snatch it. Where at least I know one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, so yeah, to go back to. Well, yeah, but well, Daryl Hannah then throws herself down and absolutely fantastic. It's comedic. It's absolutely batshit crazy. Daryl Hannah improvised the scene where after L Driver's eye gets removed by Beatrix Kiddo, she goes nuts. She did this because she thought it would make Tarantino laugh. He did, and the scene stayed in the film. However, Daryl sustained injuries from breaking so many things in the bathroom. But she flips out in such an unbelievable way. It's just fantastic. She goes Ape shit destroying the bathroom. I think that's quite a, a realistic way of reacting to that, don't you? Agree. So I'll, I'll go to your, your question you're talking about because I love that moment. And I thought about it today because I wrote it down as a question. Does Elle survive to fight another day like we think she does for our sequel? Or does the Black Mamba Snake that cowers away from, from Beatrix, Beatrix when she passes him yeah. get her? Because... That's the other thing we always forget about. Like, we just forget that two minutes before she kicks through the door, a black mama has just killed Bud and is still in the apartment, in in the the trailer. And so that thing is always hanging over our head throughout this entire fight scene is, where's this fucking snake? And sometimes we forget about it until we see it again. So, do you think she survives to fight another day or does the black mama snake 
which would be very apropos to get her, gets her in the trailer because she can't see shit. And it's not like she's not flailing about and making yeah, a big yeah. scene. Do you know what? That's quite funny because... Because I feel like this is like Tarantino's what's in the briefcase moment in this movie. Like, he leaves, like, you decide what happens to her. Especially if he's not going to do volume three. Yeah, but it's not that... Um, I, I just find that a very... Admittedly, it's quite minor. I just find that slightly odd that Beatrix doesn't killer herself. Well, let's go through the actual events that we're leaving her to. She is now completely blind. We can easily assume that she's going to now take the Thunderbird that's out front, which is a sweet fucking car. She's going to take her Thunderbird and drive off. So she is blind, has no way to get out of there, is trapped in there with one of the most deadly snakes in the world that she can't see. She's in the desert and has no way of getting home. How does she survive? How does she actually make it out of there alive? Without the elements getting yeah, her, without just dying. A, like, she's not like she can go wandering off, and in a few minutes, yeah. unless unless she's able to find her phone, and Bill somehow is able to come rescue her, which would be the only way it happens, yeah. if she's but able listen, to find her, she's yeah. fucked. She is fucked, fucked, fucked. Like, it's over. But the thing is, <laughs> yeah. this, is a, this is a fantasy. I you get know, it, but I'm just giving you the elements that are in reality, front of our face. <laughs> you're bringing reality into a And your facts, <laughs> you liberal yeah, sons yeah, of bitches. Yeah, Jesus. Um, but I, I hear what you're saying, and she has got her phone. Yes, but but again, can she find it? <laughs> I don't know where it is. Well, she's, she's one of the best trained assassins in the world. I'm sure she can find a fucking mobile phone. Okay, but now she's searching around. Again, keep thinking we're talking about. She's searching the around snake. this trailer. The snake is there. And the snake is going to attack her. She's now got to find her phone, avoid a black mama snake, completely blind. But we know she's not dead because of our Kill Bill 3. Yes, agreed. (laughs) But I'm saying, since if he's not going to do Kill Bill Volume 3, all signs point towards that the reason she left her behind is she knows she's going to die. She has no way of getting out of there alive. Unless, of course, like I said, somehow she was able to contact Bill and he got her. This is no normal adversary. Well, that's the only way that works in, in Volume 3 anyways, is that she was able to get a hold of Bill and he was able to come get her or have someone come get her to bring her back. That's the only way that works because otherwise she, she's not stumbling out of the, the fucking desert blind. Yeah. But there's no mention of her again, though, is there, when, when Beatrix ends up meeting no. up with Bill? No. No, we don't talk about her again. No. Not so, yeah, it's just, but I just always found it a bit, a bit strange of the amount of hate she had for L Driver that Beatrix didn't cut her head off. Again, I think leaving her blind and going to die in a horrible long way or even through the snake, I think she feels that she's kind of one-upped her. De- almost as if death is too too good for her. Like a quick she death is to too suffer. good for her. Yes. So she, she deserves to suffer. suffer. Like, which is funny, which is what she says, she must suffer to her very end when she tells Bud to bury her when she's going to bury her in the ground. She must suffer to her last breath. And I think that's exactly what she's getting yeah. the turnaround. I think I'm just an indiscriminate gorehound. I just wanted to say you get a head cut off. But that's a whole nother story. But yeah, <laughs> well, so that's maybe just... maybe our volume three will come to life and Pi yeah, will come it. back. Well, this is it. But if, if there is a Kill Bill 3, there is no way L Driver is not going to return. I agree. I agree that she have to. But again, like I say, so the only out is if she's able to somehow get to the phone, call Bill to get her out, or someone else that she knows. Again, you know, it would have to be yeah, Bill yeah. and yeah. get her out. Otherwise, yeah. it just doesn't work. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Okay. And then we basically get... Uh, we get a great ending 
She just yeah. walks out, and that she door just, just slams, slams and go to black. I love that it just slams like a gunshot and just black. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's it. Again, Tarantino's a master of this. Is you go into this film, both films, one film, but the two parts of it. You think she's going to get revenge on all five of them. At the end of the day, she only kills three of her own hand. She leaves one possibly alive, and one is not killed by her. True. Very. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't take it the way that you like a normal revenge film cliche from Hollywood would go. Is that person gets revenge on everybody, and at the end, there's no. I mean, we're not surprised by anything. It's not like something you know. A great revenge story would be like, you're going to get revenge. It's been like 10 years. You wake up or you've waited all this time and you go to find the person and the person has died of like cancer or someone already got to him first. Like leaving you unfulfilled with your revenge and still like needing to quench it. Like that would be a cool fucking revenge film where you don't get what you want. Yeah. And that will do it for this month's action-packed Double Stuff Bible Studies. I would once again like to thank my special guest, the amazing Steve Smith of the Way Past Cool Podcast, for joining me again this week. Now, you can find the link to Steve's podcast and his socials in the show notes. And as always, you can become a member of the Church of Tarantino by following us on all our socials, which can be found in the show notes as well. Now, for those of you who have the steely nerve for it, join me again next week as I combine the two Kill Bill worship services from earlier in this month into one long, the whole bloody affair episode. For those of you who do not possess the steady hand of a salty dog, then please join me again in two weeks as we have our first female special guest as Miss Sam Aversa, contributor on the Metalcore Nerds podcast and overall badass chica, will be here to help me dissect and discuss the most female-driven movie of QT's to date, Death Proof. So, until next time, this has been the Reverend Scott K. May Tarantino be with you always. This has been a man with an exceptional beard production.